and then also shifting gears from powerlifting into bodybuilding. The reason why I was able to step on a bodybuilding stage and have some success was because of doing a lot of those assistance movements over the years. And so once I started getting rid of some layers of chub and some layers of fat, then people were like, holy shit, like you're pretty jacked. I'm like, well, no shit. I've been doing my homework. I've been doing these lifts for many, many years. I think it would be a mistake for somebody, maybe a beginner, you know, they do a incline barbell press and they don't feel it in their pecs but they go to a pec deck and they feel it i think it'd be a huge mistake to just cut the barbell press you got to put faith into those main movements because for like two years of my training i didn't feel anything in a bent over row i just put faith and i knew like okay i know that these movements over time i'll have more carryover it'll give me more benefit rather than if i just cut those and just did a lat pull down i just think those movements you gotta just trust until you connect with them all right, Kenny Williams and I, we're finishing up our back workout. Our camera guy is fat and he was late today. So you guys are joining us uh, towards the end here. But we were just talking about something really simple that we think, I think you guys can implement and that's steroids and insulin. No, no, that wasn't what we were talking about. Peptides. Peptides. Yeah. And you can go to his website and you can order as many peptides as you want. Yep. Now we're talking about two to three exercises per body part, two to three times a week. I think it's a real easy prescription to start with if you're confused about where to start with your training. Kenny, maybe you can take it away and give them some examples of what we're talking about. <sighs> yeah, so basically, <sighs> oh, there the we way, go. however you set up your program, I think, I'm not gonna use optimal, but I think it'd be beneficial to hit every body part twice a week, like Mark said, with two to three exercises. Some, I would argue, could even be one exercise if the intensity's high. Maybe if you do a drop set, a rest pause set, which technically would still be like three sets, but I think giving every body part some love more often is gonna keep you full. It's gonna, give you that kind of 3D bodybuilding-ish look. And also if you even it out, and you know, a lot of people just hit fucking arms like three times a week, or the, the gym bros hit chest like three, four times a week, and then they look, they're not proportional. So I think it helps you have good proportions, no weak links, stay full, give you that aesthetic look. And then once you set that base, you can be like, okay, maybe I can give more love to my back because I need to bring that up and everything else seems good. Or if you're genetically blessed, unlike myself, and you have good arms, you could be like, all right, I'm gonna focus more on like a push-pull leg split. I'm not necessarily gonna have just an arm day and I don't really need to hit my arms because like you said earlier, they get hit during push days, your biceps get hit during back days. So it's like, you just need to set the base first. That way you're not starting off like super uneven. And then wherever you need more attention, give it. Yeah, and it's, it can, you can make it as complicated or as simple as you want to follow on what he was saying. If it's a press day, let's say you did chest and shoulders, well then you might finish with triceps. It's all like a pushing day. Your triceps got worked during the bench press, so how many more tricep exercises do you need at the end? Your triceps may have gotten worked from overhead pressing as well. 
So again, you might only need like one or two tricep movements on your way out the door. Other people like to handle their business different ways. They have their chest on one day and they might have uh, opposing muscle groups on the same day. So they might do chest and biceps or chest, biceps, rear delts. And then on a day where they might do shoulders, they might train, uh, they might train their back or something like that. So it just, some people like to do opposing muscles. Some people like to uh, superset antagonistic muscles, muscles that oppose each other or muscles that have nothing to do with each other. So sometimes somebody might do, let's say you have shitty calves, but you love training your back. It's a great example. And what you can do is for every back set that you do, do a set of calves. It could just be as simple as you just standing here and just leaning on something and doing a set of 20 calf raises or a set of 20 one foot at a time. You do that in between your arm training. If you have shitty calves, over a period of time, your calves will grow. And some people are like, well, I got shitty calves from genetics. Your shitty calves will still improve. They might not improve to be cannonball calves like some other athletes have but they should still improve quite a bit. But this kind of idea of two to three exercises and uh, per body part done two to three times a week works excellent. So if you just keep forgetting on what to do and what split to have and you keep kind of messing things up, you can kind of always go back to that. If you're somebody that likes some of the compound movements, the cool thing about compound movements is when you do something like a bent over row, or you do a standing overhead press, you do a deadlift, you do a squat, what do those movements work? In my opinion, they work everything. Like the, it literally works everything. Okay, maybe it's targeted more to the hamstrings, the glutes, the lower back when we're talking about deadlifting, but deadlifting kind of works everything. And so you can utilize some of those movements to your advantage. What you'll find too, the stronger that you get, if you start building up strength like Kenny has, you start pulling six, 700 pounds in a deadlift, that exercise alone can start to take 20 minutes, 30 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes. But again, the really important thing to keep in mind is that works the whole body. So how many other exercises do you actually need to do if you hit 600 in a deadlift for a couple of sets, or even 500, or even 400? start to get to near maximal weights with pretty heavy uh, weights, then you probably don't need a lot of other exercises, maybe a leg curl and maybe some lat pull downs and you could probably uh, get the hell out of there. Cause you don't want to be in the gym for three hours. Yep. I would agree with that. Especially in the beginning, I felt like when I progressed, eventually they faded out. Like right now I'm not too focused on squat bench or deadlift. Um, I still stiff leg deadlift, but progressing those lifts, uh, I feel like just made my overall room for growth way larger than if I were to just, you know, do, start off with all the jabroni type of splits. Like progressing my squat, I feel got my whole frame bigger, even though it sounds kind of bro science-y. The deadlift progressing that, I felt like 
I feel like those lifts just open up so much more room for like your frame and then all the extra stuff like we do now eventually and those things fade out. It's just like touch up and kind of like, I don't know, full, it's hard to explain. You deadlift heavy and you start to build up your grip, you build up the strength of your Forearms, pulling muscles. Yeah. And then when you go to do a seated row, you can now handle the stack for a set of 10 rather than, you know, half of that weight for a set of five, right? Yeah. And I heard, uh, what Mark was touching on, Mike Van Wick, which I'm sure a lot of you guys know. I haven't listened to too much of his stuff, but the one thing he did mention in the podcast I was listening to with, I think, the Muscle Doc, um, he talked about pretty much what Mark was saying, that how taxing a deadlift is, or like a squat, and he said he would recommend you just keep those completely separate. So if you're going to do a bunch of deadlifts, heavy for, that's going to take like, yeah, like an hour maybe. Um, just keep that on its own day. And then the following day, do your lat pull downs, your hamstring curls, whatever, or just do it like Mark said, just do like two exercises after because your CNS is already fried. So anything past that, in my opinion, unless it's like not that fatiguing, like a lat pull down, it's just going to put you in a deeper hole and then it's going to affect the next day of training and then the next day until you recover and then so I just think, yeah, not doing too much, especially when you're focusing on the compound lifts because it doesn't just work your glutes and your hamstrings. It grows your upper back a ton, grows your traps. It can grow your forearms, even your calves. I know people, I've asked like you, and I think somebody else that was a guest, I was like, what do you do for calves? And they're like squat heavy. Uh -huh. I was like, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, walk out your squats, right? Yeah. Um, you'll hear that a lot from people that are blessed too with calves, so they won't give you much of an answer, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah that's... Um, my whole family has pretty good calves, and so um, I haven't really like gone way out of my way to train calves, but from the time I was young, I've trained them at least a little bit. Again, going back to that two to three, you, just, you can do that with any muscle group. I do think it's important though, that you have an intent of the day. You should have what I also like to call a main event. What's your main movement? What's your main event? Your main movement for the day is a, a concentration curl. Eh, you know, your main movement for the day is a tricep kickback. Those are great exercises, but that doesn't sound like enough to me. Your main movement for the day is a step up. It's like, it's just not enough. I could see if your main movement you know, for the day is changed. Like normally you do your main movement, it's normally a squat. And now for today you wanna to break, you wanna get rid of some of that spinal compression and so you're doing a heavier step up or heavier lunges. That makes total sense. And it's very understandable and very intelligent to do. Same thing with something like a deadlift. You know, normally you do heavy barbell deadlifts. Well maybe on this particular day, you do all the other back stuff that you normally do or all the other hamstring stuff that you normally do, but you just ditch your deadlifts. Doing that once every three or four weeks or so can really make a lot of sense as you start to build a lot of strength because as you start to build a lot of strength, you start to run out of tricks after a while. You know, week one, you know, you deadlift 405 for a triple. Week two, you deadlift 425 for a triple. Week number three, you deadlift 445 for two and now you start to he starts to run out of tricks to do maybe you could switch it to singles and pull 455 or something but 
then what? Then where do you go from? That might be a time where you ditch the deadlift for that particular week, or you just start back over and start with 275 for sets of six or eight or wherever you uh, left off last. So those are the things you wanna to try to keep in mind, but I would say make sure that you have some sort of main, there's gotta be a main movement. You're trying to grow your back and you're telling me that your main movement is like a lat pull down. I love lat pull downs, I do them all the time. This is the second lat pull down movement we did for today but I still think that you need something juicier, probably like some sort of bent over row, some sort of heavy dumbbell row. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Something that's, yeah, I would Juicy. agree with that. Yeah, something that's just more taxing, gonna challenge you more than just being in a seated lap pull down. I don't think you're gonna get the same amount of like density or thickness from doing that in compared to something that you're bent over with and it's loading your rectors everything else posterior and rowing it in front of you some heavy ass weight compared to that you want to know something interesting that's totally off topic what well it's not totally off topic it's in the fitness realm but how many fitness chicks without a, without a fucking blink of an eyelash jump on anivar right away and how many dudes are scared to get on fucking steroids yeah, anivar is a steroid ladies and gentlemen yeah you know You've heard that, right? You've heard have, so many fitness I've, chicks talk about being on Anavar, right? Yep, I actually know a couple. And I actually know a couple that have done growth hormone, too. Some of the most beautiful mustaches you've ever seen in your life, right? Yeah, it's a very interesting. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, most of the ones I've met are pretty interesting. Their reasoning for it is pretty interesting, but I can't talk because I'm doing it, too, so... No judgment here. When you say train a body twice a week, does that go for like quads and hamstrings as well? Uh, not so much quads. For me, pers I've done that though, but for me personally I do, an example would be like two push days where it's all chest, shoulder, tricep. There's just one that's the main movements focused on a chest and the other push day, the main movements focused on a shoulder. So like incline barbell and overhead barbell press and then I have a leg day which is quad focus but a touch of hamstrings then I have a back and hamstring day which is back and hamstrings and then I have a back day on its own so quads technically only hit once but everything else is hit twice mm -hmm. and I'm hitting I'm sneaking in little body parts like rear delts when I want I'm doing a lot of adductors it's uh the recipe is also two to three of two to three different things. So it's, it's two to three exercises per muscle group done uh, two to three times a week done for two to three sets. <laughs> so it's two to three of kind of everything, which is kind of funny because I've been saying that for years and that's actually what some of the science and some of the information says too. It, I was just, it was just kind of straight bro sciency. It was like, yeah, yeah, do two to three. Two, three of this, two, three of that, two, three of this, two, three of that. Again, it, does, it depends on a lot of factors. Depends on your warm up. Depends on how strong you are. Um, some people like two to three sets, that doesn't sound like enough, but like if you did, if you did like three warm up sets of something and then you went for it and did working sets where you're actually working hard, then even sometimes one set is enough. Um, as Kenny's pointing out, there's gonna be a lot of variability. Like your recovery with your legs. How do you train your legs? 
some of Kenny's background is in here in super training where he learned squat bench deadlift. So Kenny's idea of legs is probably pretty taxing. Whereas somebody else, they might train their legs a little bit more casual. They might do, they might pull the sled. They might do some step ups and they might uh, finish out with a couple sets of leg extensions. Like, well, that day is no big deal. They, you could easily do that two to three times a week. But if your idea of leg training is to start out on hack squats and to, and to have your last set be a uh, drop set and then, and then you're doing leg curls and then you're doing leg press and then you're doing the belt squat. I mean, that's a totally different style of leg day. So it depends. Are you someone that likes to just like pile, pile it all on into one day and to really stack it and you don't mind being sore for a handful of days? Then maybe you're gonna choose some of the way that he likes to train lower body. But the way that you train upper body is probably more like the fatigue's probably spread out a little bit more, right? Yeah, yeah. Just because I don't know. I like legs, to train that way too. I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. Legs is just. I mean, obviously heavy. I can't think of anything harder than hack squats to failure, barbell squats to like. That takes me a minute, at least for me. Maybe some people can recover super quick from legs. But me, not so much. But I know my upper body, like my shoulders especially, those recover super fast. So I can afford to have two pretty much full days where I'm hitting those body parts. But quads, I like to give myself enough time to recover. And plus, I'm also hitting the back side of my legs, hamstrings, twice a week too. So it's like, in my opinion, it balances out as long as I'm really getting the most out of that quad session since they take the longest to recover. I mean, I don't know, that's just what works for me. But yeah, I think uh, everything we're talking about, like for example, this might not even really relate to it, but I see like, I think uh, just a mixture of everything. You don't need to overcomplicate it. Like, you know, power lifter, I see a lot of power lifters that don't look like bodybuilders because they just, or they don't really look like they lift. Some powerlifters don't even look like they lift, but they can deadlift 800 pounds. And they might have some areas where, oh, they have thick lats or they have thick erectors where you can kind of tell like, okay, I could see him, but they don't prioritize or take a break from those lifts at all. They just do squat bench deadlift. And then that to me, even for powerlifting, yes, like their, I think their argument would be like, well, that's my sport. Those are the only movements I'm doing and competing in. But then the way I would look at it is like, well, you're using all the, you're using triceps back. Why would you not want to get your base bigger to then progress those lifts and have more cushion and more of like mm -hmm. a platform to press? And, and look better. Yeah. So I think the, the fluffy stuff speaks for itself. I think you should prioritize it no matter what you're doing, CrossFit, whatever, just to look better and to have just a stronger base, no, no weak links. Because if you just focus on one thing too much, there's gonna be something that's lagging. So mm -hmm. you need to do it all, even if it's just maybe a training block for a power lifter or somebody who's not really bodybuilding, where they just focus on hypertrophy for maybe a month or two after like three, four month cycles of their, the training they like, and then do some bodybuilding and then come back to it. And just, that's what Ed Cohen did, I think. And he got fucking jacked. So I don't know why you wouldn't do that. It's also easy to get hurt if you prioritize one thing and you only focus on that and you're not, there's no other, you're not, um, you're not taking care of the other stuff. They're called like secondary movements or accessory movements. 
it really doesn't do them any service. They're, I would treat it more, just more like bodybuilding. You get done with your main movement and maybe there's a powerlifting prescription to the main movement of a five sets of five or three sets of three or what have you. Uh, it's gonna be a higher weight, um, lower reps, sometimes higher sets. And then from there, you're gonna move into like sort of powerlifting type stuff, or I'm sorry, bodybuilding type stuff where you're doing sets of 10. A lot of times when we talk about these two to three sets um, per body part, you're doing you know, 10 to 15 reps when you're trying to do bodybuilding style. And you're also moving uh, with an intent too, like you know, bodybuilding. You're get, you know, maybe, maybe if you're powerlifting, you're trying to be explosive, you know, maybe you're coming over here and you've you're got the whole stack on here and you're moving around like crazy. But in a bodybuilding sense, you wanna really learn to squeeze and focus and learn how the triceps fire and learn how they feel. And you'll actually be shocked you'll be able to get rid of like a lot of potential injury that way. Um, I got lazy in my powerlifting career a couple times and I got hurt. I went to squat 1,041 and I just got a little forward on it and tore my hamstring. And so the rest of the meet from there was pretty embarrassing. I think I deadlifted like 400 pounds just to finish out the meet because I think I still successfully squatted 1,000 something. So I wanted that to still count. Otherwise you're scratched and you bomb out of the meat. So I wanted that to count. So I did like a token bench. I couldn't bench because my hamstring was too messed up. So I benched some cheap weight. And then deadlift was really funny because I had like two of the skinny, tiny little red plates on there. And I come out and I do like a sumo deadlift and I weigh like 300 pounds. <laughs> and I deadlifted like 300 pounds and it still hurt. It hurt like, a, hurt like crazy to get that weight up. But uh, Anyway, the reason why I got hurt was because I, I wasn't doing my assistance movements or I just treated it like it was assistance or like it was secondary. When it needed to be first dairy, it needed to be primary, it's still part of it. So when I went back into my training, I stuck my glute, uh, glute ham raises back in there, prioritized those, did a lot of leg curls, did a lot of stiff-legged deadlifts and that same injury never happened again. And I came back and I squatted 1,080. I was able to squat more weight after just paying attention to that one uh, area. And the next time I leaned forward on a squat, I didn't pop my hamstring. My hamstrings were strong enough to help carry me through the movement. And the same thing happened on deadlifts and the same thing happened on some of the other lower body movements. My hamstrings got stronger. They were able to handle that little pull or whatever you, you wanna call it during some of those one rep maxes. I was able to get through those weights. So those other movements that you're doing they're, uh, they're hugely important. And also shifting gears from powerlifting into bodybuilding. The reason why I was able to step on a bodybuilding stage and have some success was because of doing a lot of those assistance movements over the years. And so once I started getting rid of some layers of chub and some layers of fat, then people were like, holy shit, like you're pretty jacked. I'm like, well, no shit. I've been doing my homework. I've been doing these lifts for many, many years. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, especially for powerlifting, even though I was never like a, I'm not top, I'm not like at a high level of anything yet, but training with the team and then transitioning into bodybuilding. And then once I was in bodybuilding more recently, looking back at the team, you know, powerlifters, even top guys do their accessories. I think they lack putting in a lot of effort sometimes and I think if you can really up Not your... Not Smokey though, he loves it. 
Yeah, Smokey loves to curl. <laughs> but I think like I'll see somebody that's powerlifting put a lot of effort into their main movement, which is mm -hmm. it's they need to. And then they come over here to do their accessories and it's like half-ass and they cut it short and they're really just talking and just going through the motions. But I feel like, uh, you know, this shit is pretty hard too and you can make it hard and I feel like that's how you get the most out of it and that's how it could benefit your powerlifting or your cross or whatever it is and keep you prevent injury, all that type of stuff, is if you actually put effort into even just a tricep push down or whatever it is. I'm not saying you have to go fucking way past failure, but you know, don't cut yourself short because I feel like you're leaving gains on the table there. I would say people don't want to do it. I don't want to say it's harder because I mean, I've never squatted a thousand pounds. I've never got to that level, but just me comparing it from my experience, I've squatted a decent amount of weight and doing like a one rep max compared to a death set on mm. hack squats, to me personally, that the hack squats are way harder. Uh, the preparation's different. Mm -hmm. Like mentally, it's definitely, I would say a lot harder to get into that state of getting under the bar and realizing, fuck, I've never squatted this before. That's harder, but once you're in it, like the, the bodybuilding stuff is a lot harder and you're out, like you're in and out of a one rep max pretty yeah. quick. So I don't think it's, that difficult and the bodybuilding shit just burns so people don't want to do it they mentally just fade out and then they cut it short bodybuilding not only burns you know that it's gonna there's a price to pay for the next couple days yeah with a exactly. power lift i mean you know if you do the lift the right way and you're lifting within the right percentages because you shouldn't be lifting at 100 percent anyway except for very occasionally and um in in powerlifting you know, it's very common for the strongest guys to lift with well within their means. So they're at like 85% to do it. 85% uh, one rep max is like, it's pretty easy. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, it's, it's, it's easy. You get it done with and you're not super sore. Might be tired or fatigued. Might be a little fucked up from it. Um, maybe back might be tight or something like that. But after you get used to it, it's not really that big a deal as opposed to like if Kenny and I went crazy on like hack squats, I know for the next seven days yeah. or six days, my legs are gonna feel like dry and tore up and they're just gonna yeah. kill and going up and down the stairs and stuff like that's gonna hurt really bad. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Ed Cohen. I know he's been here, but uh, he talks about all the time how he, in his off season of powerlifting, he's one of the greatest powerlifters ever. Yep. And he said he would take, like, like Mark said earlier, he would just cut out certain movements. Like he would, I think he said he would cut out bench for a period of time and focus on overhead press. Mm -hmm. And then he knew that if he was progressing on his overhead press, it would translate to his bench press, but he was giving his body a break of that same movement pattern, just going over and over and over and over, just beating, beating it to the ground. So taking a break and picking the right movements that you know will translate to. So figuring that out is gonna be up to you. But I know, you know, uh, what did I do? I would do that. I would do like incline barbell, a close grip incline barbell. They did that at Westside, I know. Uh, if I was progressing on that, I knew that my flat regular barbell bench would go up. Um, so I think, yeah, taking a break of movements, putting more intensity into stuff that's not just the same old shit is super important. Because bodybuilding, like you said, applies to I don't know what it wouldn't apply to. Yeah, it applies to everything. Yeah, so. I think Kenny brings up a good point. You know, he got the assistance movements, got the kind of main movements. 
Some of the certain movements lend themselves to like training a lot heavier. A lot of the barbell movements allow you to train heavier. So you might want to just pair stuff up and say like, uh, you know, for back, I'm going to do, I'm going to do one movement. That's a barbell movement. And I'm going to do one movement that isn't a barbell movement. So you have something like a, uh, something like a deadlift or something like a bent over row could be one, uh, lap movement. And the other lap movement could be pull-ups or it could be a deadlift and lap pull-downs if you're not proficient at pull-ups. For triceps, you could do something like close grip bench. That would be your barbell movement. That'd be a main movement. That'd be a heavier movement that you might want to do a five by five of. Your other movement could be some sort of tricep pushdown or dumbbell tricep extension. For hamstrings, you could do a stiff leg deadlift. Another great hamstring movement that would be more in the assistance category, more probably done bodybuilding style would be some sort of leg curl set to 10 and you can go on and on and on with this uh, barbell curl and then a preacher uh, cable curl or machine curl. As you start to think about the different exercises you've seen in the gym and the different exercises you've done in the gym, you can see how easy it is to pair these things up. A barbell movement or a main movement mixed in with some sort of assistance movement. Yeah, yeah. I think all this type of stuff is... Like Kaler, uh, what's his last name? Kaler Woolham? Yep. He would do, I remember, I would watch, he would do like, animal. like power rows, like cheat rows. Oh, yeah. And he said he would do that to help uh, increase his deadlift. So I know I'm referencing a lot of powerlifting, but that's, I mean, I like, I think powerlifting training the way I used to do it, I think is more fun than the bodybuilding stuff because it's like, I know if I'm, killing my hamstrings, it's gonna translate to my deadlift and not just make them bigger, but I'm gonna be able to perform better. And I feel like, I don't know, powerlifting, I just, I love powerlifting. So that's why I'm talking about it a lot. But I think with anything, if you just think, use your brain a little bit, it's like, there's no way that a bent over row that's heavy is not gonna translate to your deadlift because your lower back is still working, you're loading your erectors still, your glutes, your hamstrings are getting worked. Like there's no way, if you just think about stuff and kind of connect and see how they can correlate, like I just, I don't, it's not rocket science. Like you just. You're not gonna feel some of these movements sometimes, you know? Yeah. Like a barbell curl. If you do a set of barbell curl for like a set of eight, you're not gonna feel it the same way you might feel a preacher uh, machine curl. If you do a set of stiff leg deadlifts, you do a couple sets of six reps with 225 or 315, depending on your strength level. And you're not gonna feel that in your hamstrings the way that you would feel a drop set of leg curls for sets of 12. Right. You're not gonna feel a bent over row the same way that you're gonna feel a, a row machine. So when you do these movements, they're confusing sometimes because you're like, I'm supposed to, you know, <laughs> supposed to feel this and you can't always feel them. Now, there's a couple things going on. One is you should work on using appropriate weights so you can keep your form and you can have a certain skill set developed with that because you should be able to feel it in certain muscle groups and you should learn to contract and be able to flex in certain ways. But a lot of times the barbell movements are just movements you're not going to feel the same way. You're not going to feel a 
flat bench press, no matter how skilled you get at a flat bench press, the same way you're going to feel a cable crossover. They're just, they're not going to feel the same. The cable crossover, you're going to feel your chest more. You're going to feel more of a burn. You're going to feel more blood get into that chest quicker. One set of 10 of cable crossover and boom, your chest feels like it's inflated. A set of 10 of bench press, maybe a little bit of blood gets in there. It's not going to feel the same. So keep that in mind. The cable movements, the, the things that you tend to do with less weight, they're usually a lot easier to feel. And that's why people have been utilizing those movements as assistance exercises for so long. It doesn't mean you can't go heavier on them. And it doesn't mean that you can't go lighter with the barbell movements. It just means that each thing has kind of a different feel to it. And you're going to have to learn that for yourself. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think it would be a mistake, though, to, um, I think it would be a mistake for somebody, maybe a beginner, to experience what you were saying. Like, you know, they do a incline barbell press and they don't feel it in their pecs, but they go to a pec deck and they feel it. I think it'd be a huge mistake to just cut the barbell press. Yes, like, oh, 100%. I don't. So going off feel all the time isn't, you gotta have, you gotta put faith into those main movements because for like two years of my training, I didn't feel anything in my incline barbell. I didn't feel anything in a bent over row. I just put faith and I knew like, okay, I know that these movements over time, I'll have more carryover, it'll give me more benefit as far as strength, setting my, you know, a strength base, um, rather than if I just cut those and just did a lat pull down and, you know, replace that from doing a bent over dumbbell, barbell, single arm row, whatever. I just think those movements, you gotta just trust until you connect with them. And also, uh, you could do things to speed that process up, like do the pec fly before you go into the um, incline barbell press and stuff like that. But it's a I think, great move. Yeah, but I think sticking to those movements is gonna have, you're gonna get so much benefit rather than just doing all the, the gym bro stuff from the beginning at least, just even, build that density up. Even a squat, you know, a lot of times people just feel a squat like in their lower back. Yeah. You know, like I can't really feel it anywhere. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't ever squat. I think what you would wanna do is you'd wanna learn the squat over a period of time, but really take your time and, and I would use a squat not as a builder or as anything to even train heavy on. I'd actually only recommend just doing it at the beginning of a workout as kind of a warm up and learning the squat and then utilizing another exercise that you could feel a lot easier. A belt squat, a hack squat, a leg press. Again, you're not neglecting the squat, but you're just gonna take your time to learn it. And over a period of time, you'll be able to tap into the legs a little bit more. I know Jay Cutler and a bunch of other, Lee Haney, comes to mind, those guys utilize other exercises before the main movement to get like a burn and to get those muscles kind of engaged and ready. I think Ronnie Coleman would do um, walking lunges. Jay Cutler would do leg extensions uh, oftentimes before they squatted. And that way they went to squat, they could really keep that pressure and that tension on their legs. Also, another thing is watch the way a lot of bodybuilders lift. Don't just listen to the science and the information. You know, hear so many people talk about, oh, you know, this movement's gotta be full range. We gotta be here and then we have to be here and we gotta pause and we gotta squeeze. Watch what the bodybuilders do. Watch what a lot of those guys do. They'll just find, they'll find a tension point that feels good for them and then they just ride it out. But watch Jay Cutler, watch Ronnie Coleman. 
watch all these guys, watch Sam Sulek, watch what these people are doing and start to analyze it and break it down and say, oh, that's really weird. I wonder why they're all lifting very similar. Could be a natural guy, could be an unnatural guy. Watch all of them. And you'll notice there's a lot of similarities. And bodybuilding movements and bodybuilding ranges of motion have been around forever. Uh, we used to say it all the time in here when we would do some of the assistance movements. We would say, uh, do, it, do it like a bodybuilder. You know? And we would even warm up on the bench a lot like a bodybuilder where you would just do these like little, it's like hard, I can't explain it any other way. It's like a half rep. You're not halfway up, you're not halfway down. You're just somewhere in the middle. Once you find that tension point, you just ride it out and you try to get a lot of blood to the area. A lot of bodybuilders use that, utilize that for many, many years. And then also there's a tempo to a lift as well. Sometimes people will do them with kind of a slower eccentric or controlled. And you'll see that be very common amongst bodybuilders. Not all bodybuilders go really slow, but most bodybuilders use quite a bit of control on at least a good percentage of their movements. Sometimes a little out of control. Yeah. Because sometimes you're trying to get a little body English on some movements, but. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's not like I've been alive for that long, so I'm not going to say like back in the day, but I mean, I started watching, I started getting into like all the bodybuilding fitness when stuff. When you were seven. Like, no, maybe like eighth grade, I started to like see it, but I started, I've been training since I was 12, so I've been still watching stuff since like a, a, a long time. A good decade. Yeah, so seeing like all the stuff now about how specific things have to be, mm. like you got to set this uh, lat pull down cable up a specific way to get the best lat growth rather than just, I feel like f going into the gym and just lifting and not overcomplicating it. Oh, yeah, this little single arm, like yeah, lat pull down, squeeze it here. Yeah, I think and you got to shift your body weight this way. Yeah, I think there's too much science behind, like, not to. I mean, I mean, I'm a meathead, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do it my way, anyways. But I've never been like a I never got into like the science stuff, and I'm seeing a lot more of it now. Like I'm seeing like you know a skinny TikTok kid mm. tell me that a single arm lat pull down at fucking the perfect angle at the perfect setting with the perfect attachment is gonna build my back more than uh, you know heavy rack pulls, heavy lat pull downs, and just the basics. You know. I, I think that's making it complicated for people in the big, I think that's why people are starting to replace fluffy stuff for the basics that build the density, the strength base, because there's just too much people preaching like this is the b optimal way, this is the, mm. this is the range of motion you have to do it in, this is the, the you know, cut it too short, uh, two reps short of failure, make sure it's super specific. To me, it's just fucking just lift, just lift and whatever feels good. Keep the intensity high. Like I don't see Honey Rambod or any of these bodybuilding coaches. Everything like they all have one thing in common. It's intensity. So, you know, I don't think I think if you keep that high, there's no wrong way to train. You just need to not you need to stop over like over complicating stuff. I've always hated uh whenever somebody like hammers someone else's enthusiasm, you know? Yeah. Let's say somebody like likes cardio and mm -hmm. someone's like, wait, wait, they're like, that's not the best way to burn fat. Exactly. And it's like, well, fuck man. If the guy wants to do a half hour of cardio every day and he gets fired up on the treadmill and he likes that and it clears his mind, it's like, let the motherfucker do it. 
Yeah, I think optimal is person dependent. I, I will, I don't care what any, I mean, I'm not gonna go against science because obviously on paper, it's a fact, but I still think like you, just for that reason alone, you know, us, uh, like we know, we know cardio by itself without any lifting, if somebody just wanted to lose fat, that it's not great for long term. Yeah, yeah. But you still don't want to stifle the enthusiasm that somebody does, that somebody has. Maybe it's a girl and they're like, I only like using the elliptical at the gym. It's like, well, that's fine. But can you maybe convince them to do a little bit of lifting somewhere? Right. That's really what you want to do. You don't want to necessarily stop them from doing the other thing because you read something different or heard something different. You want to encourage them to maybe add more to their plate rather than you just like totally taking a dump on what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that, I mean, I don't use optimal for any, I don't use the word for really anything, but I think that whatever makes the person happy and excited and motivated to go do it, I think that's the closest to optimal you can get. And right. then over time, obviously, like you said, you can build off that and you'll learn things. But I think just getting there, getting to that point, getting to the gym, doing the cardio, doing whatever's going to get you there is probably the best way for you to do it at that time. And then as you learn more, hopefully you're tr open to learning more, you'll build off that and you'll be like, all right, maybe that amount of cardio I don't need, or maybe I should do more. Maybe I should add training. Maybe I should look into my diet. But either way, I think whatever makes whatever makes it fun and enjoyable is what is probably optimal for that. We person. just uh, just finished up a morning training session. We just did back. Um, how did you eat last night? How did you eat this morning? And how are you going to eat afterwards? <laughs> so, let's see. Last night. Uh, wait. Yeah. So I started a prep. I've uh, been two weeks in, and I dropped a, like fucking almost 15 pounds. So last night I knew we were gonna come in here. So I did a couple things. I had like a maybe like a little bit higher carb day, and then I had a cheat meal. Um, and then I didn't eat before the gym, which I normally do, but I knew it was gonna be early. So I've heard Hani Rambod talk about he would give Jay Cutler a cheat meal at the end of the night. And then the next morning, he'd have him go train fasted, which it's really not fasted because you're eating yeah. a bunch of fucking shitty food. So the next morning, you're going to have a bunch of glycogen to burn and use. So that's what I did. Um, and then the rest of the day is just like a, my normal diet. So What are you going to eat after the workout? Like uh, you got you to work it a little bit. What are you going to eat? I'm going to have uh, cream of rice, Pride Foods cream of rice. Uh, it's just easy, fast digesting carbs. What's your protein? Whey uh, protein. This is the whey vanilla with blueberry uh, pride foods. Oh, you're going to mix the two. Yep. I mix them in and it makes like cake. It's 50 amazing. or 60 of each, 70 of each? Uh, I think it's 120 grams of cream of rice and then I think like 60 grams mm. of whey. So just basic carbs, protein, replenish, and then the rest of the day will be moderate protein moderate carbs lowish fat mm. basic stuff but yeah i'm gonna uh i had a, a super smelly shake on my way here today i had a so a total carnivore steak shake uh with ice and some coffee like an iced coffee 
uh, a little creatine thrown in there. Mm. I have my EAAs that have uh, some creatine in there too during the workout with some hydration. And then uh, I also had two eggs this morning with a little bit of cheese and that was delicious. And uh, I probably need to figure out something post-workout. So I'll probably, uh, I think I have like a post-workout carb drink that I'll have in there. And then uh, time the podcast and then maybe later on today I'll run. Take us on out of here, Kenny. All right, guys, that's enough anabolic activities for today. Drop a comment, let us know is what you though? think. Leave a like. It's not, but we're going to tell them it is for this video. Um, let us know what you think. Appreciate all the support. Thank you. See you next weekend. On this week's episode, me and Mark go over peptides, PEDs, the use of PEDs in sports, and different training methods. We also cover our personal use of PEDs, what we would have done differently, try to give some advice to people and what not to do and what to do before you get on steroids. We also go over our experience with some peptides that we feel most people can utilize before taking the next step into using anabolic steroids, and some things some athletes could use as far as peptides that we feel you guys would get a huge benefit from. Leave a like, comment down below, and now here's anabolic activity.